0: week's show, Ryan Packmeyer is taking over the hosting position this week. He's going to actually talk to Adam Drager of Inventors Brew Pub in Portsmouth, Wisconsin. He and Adam are going to talk about his homebrewing history and generally how he became a professional. So stick around while Ryan crashes the show this week on Homebrewing DIY. Let's talk about hydrometers. The reason I want to talk about hydrometers is because it's just an essential tool in your toolbox as a home brewer. Tells you how much alcohol is in it. And to be honest, isn't that really why you started making beer anyway? The funny thing is, is that the average hydrometer out there is actually made in China. And it's also all over the place. Go and take... If you have more than one hydrometer, go and check it and see if it's actually spot on. Chances are it's not. Well, I know a company that makes high quality hydrometers right here in America, and that's Brewing America. This is an essential tool. It's the tool that measures. It's actually the one measurement you take, really, when you think about making beer. Shouldn't it be accurate? That's, that's the way I look at it. And to be honest, brewing America makes the best hydrometers out there. So head over to brewingamerica.com and check it out or go to homebrewingdiy.beer and use our brewing America sponsor banner because then you'll get 15% off and you're going to get 15% off a high quality American made hydrometer. And you're going to get the most accurate readings out there and great service kyle and angela they do an amazing job so head on over to brewing america today and welcome back to homebrewing diy the podcast that takes on the do-it-yourself aspect of homebrewing gadgets contraptions and parts this show covers it all on this week's show we have ryan packmeyer crashing the show he takes over the interview this week and he talks to adam dreger owner of the inventors brew pub in portsmouth wisconsin they talk about his homebrewing history and how he turned that into a professional brewing career, and it's just a great conversation. Adam actually was a homebrewer for many, many years, also was head brewer at a few breweries here in Colorado, and is now at Inventors Brew Pub, so he's got quite the history, and has made many, many wonderful, wonderful beers over his brewing career. But first, I'd like to thank all of our patrons over at Patreon it's because of you this show can come to you week after week and head on over to patreon.com forward slash homebrewing diy and you can give as little as a dollar to get ad free episodes of the show another way to support the show is to head on over to coffee that's ko-fi.com forward slash homebrewing diy and there you can give one-time support and that support also helps the show come to you as often as we can i i've As you've noticed, I haven't actually been as consistent with the show in the last uh, couple of months, just with kids adjusting to summer and also just things opening up in general. And also, I have to start traveling for work again. I haven't actually traveled for work in over a year. It's actually been since 2019 since I traveled for work. I'm, I'm starting to have to do that again, and so that's kind of an adjustment period for me right now. And that being said, I'm 100% dedicated to the show and going to have some really, really great content coming out. Also, check out some of the cool articles we have on homebrewing, DIY.beer. Right now, we have. If, if you listen to the last hydrometer episode with Brewing America, we are also doing another series of written articles on proper usage of a hydrometer. And the first of those came out this week from Chino. And that one's amazing. So you gotta, gotta it's a super deep dive. And then next week, we have another article on hydrometers coming out that is also another super deep tra- dive. But one thing I have noticed is uh, podcast traffic totally doing fine. I think people are now in their cars listening, which is great. But, uh, you know, generally, all of my forums feel a little dead. So I think everybody's kind of out and about and kind of getting post-pandemic these days. And it's, it's a good thing. You know, I'm fully, we're all, I hope you're fully vaccinated. Please, please, let's get the world back to normal. Get vaccinated. That's my uh, plug there. So, well, let, let's jump into the interview this week. We're going to have Ryan Packmeyer talking to Adam Dreger. But before we jump into the interview, I'd like to talk to you about Keg Factory and why you should use Keg Factory as your homebrew supply store if you need to buy things online. First of all, they're going to give you all of the knowledge of their amazing staff. These are people who brew every day and they know a ton about homebrewing. So if you ever have a question, you just give them a call and they're going to answer any of those questions for you. Also, you you can get Keg Cash. So if you sign up for Keg Cash, you're going to get 50 bonus points. And for every dollar you spend, you can use those points towards getting a great deal later. It's a, it's a wonderful loyalty program. And the last thing is that you can do no money down and do four payments on something. So for example, let's say you want to go out there and buy that $3,000 Blickman system You can do it, and you can do it in four four payments and do it interest-free. And so just thinking about something you want to acquire, Keg Factory is the place for you. So head on over to our website and use our link to Keg Factory, or you can just go to kegfactory.com, and when you talk to them, let them know that Homebrewing DIY sent you.
1: Hello, everyone. This is Ryan Packmeyer filling in on the Homebrew DIY podcast for Coulter this week. Uh, We are joined today by my good friend Adam Drager. Adam Drager was a local Colorado brewer at multiple breweries, and now he owns Inventors Brew Pub in Port Washington, Wisconsin. Uh, Thanks for joining us, Adam. Yeah, thanks for having me, Ryan. So let's jump right into it. Um, When did you start homebrewing? I started
2: homebrewing in 1999, but I guess uh, if, if this is a like Tassi cab Confessionals, I, I guess I did help out in a batch back in 1995 when I was a freshman in college. My uh, college fraternity uh, was, I mean, we didn't do any hazing, but they just kept adding more and more like homework for us to do. So it was like a bunch of men in music, and they made us... Uh, Uh, composed some pieces they made us uh make a batch of homebrew they made us uh you know make some uh wooden instruments they made us they made us do all sorts of stuff but one of the things was was make a batch of homebrew and one of our members was an avid homebrewer and we made a spiced winter warmer that was disgusting um, so that, I, guess, and, and I and I just pretty much just hung out the day that they brewed it I, I saw the process but I, I didn't really physically do it my, my first batch was I'd say
1: 1999 Wait, uh, what got you into it
2: I uh my roommate was a huge Bud Light drinker and I actually I, I was kind of like a, a Captain and Coke drinker at the time mm-hmm. and so we'd go down to the bar together and I wanted to order a Captain Coke and he was like if you think I'm a uh, you know, extroverted, he was like twice as extroverted as me. And so he would scream to the top of his lungs, like, bartender, we need a, a whole pitcher of Bud Light down here for me and my buddy, two cups. And like, I didn't, I didn't want to drink any, but, uh, you know, he was just uh, so persuasive. And so we, we'd I'd choke down two glasses of Bud Light. And then I'm like, okay, finally, I can switch to my, my captain at Coke. And he's like, bartender, another pitcher down here. My buddy's paying for this one. And so, after drinking about four glasses of Bud Light week after week after week, uh, I could tolerate the stuff. I, I, I never liked it. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so, I, I, I'm like, I, I absolutely disdain the commercials. I mean, it was just a, a bunch of uh, women wearing swimsuits, and this is wintertime. You know, why, why are people wearing swimsuits to try to sell your beer? Like, talk about the quality <laughs> of the beer. And mm-hmm. it's all about Bud Light and Coors Light and Miller Light. And I'm like, ugh. I'm to try something, you know, that actually they talk about the the quality of the art, artisan craft beer. So I went from Rolling Rock to Sam Adams to try to get, I choked down a Guinness. I choked down a, I, I, I did not like it at the time. I didn't like Sierra Nevada Pale Ale at the time. And now really? those beers are like almost watery to me. I, they're, they're delicious. I can,
1: I can knock them back. But at the time they were like beyond. <laughs> So you eventually, so you went from getting into beer, and then you just started, decided to make your own. At that point, yeah. So then I was just experimenting with
2: trying other people's beers, and like this is back in the the days of Pete's Wicked Ale and mm-hmm. other. Uh, Sam Adams wasn't their own brewery yet; they were still a contract brewery. Mm-hmm. And uh, just I thought it was kind of neat, but I, I still never got a beer that I liked. I just wanted. It. I was always searching. I was a beer hunter, but I didn't like beer yet per se but I, I knew i wanted to try something different and then when I, I i finally discovered the angelic brew pub in downtown uh madison wisconsin it was like one block off of state street and i had, they had a cream ale and it was very light and refreshing and I'm like you know where did you make this or where can i get this i said They says it's just made right here like behind that wall I'm like, you're saying this stuff is made here? Like, that's awesome. And, like, where else can you get it? Nowhere else in the whole world, just just here. And, and that really uh, kind of hit a heartstring with me, uh, unlike what Budweiser did. Oh, the beer is crappy and it tastes the same all over the world. Oh, great. The same crappy beer all over the world. Whereas this <laughs> was just a unique... A beer that was 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 artisan made, you know, right behind that wall, and like I didn't get to meet the brewer that day, but I was totally enamored by the concept that you could uh, make beer on premise and sell it. And I've I've literally been a brew pub hunter ever since. I, I like breweries, but if I had a choice between going to a brewery or brew pub, I would hands down always go to
1: a brew pub. Hmm. So was your first beer cream ale then? Because of that beer, or did you make something else?
2: Um, my first beer was a German Hefeweizen that okay. I name I named Ninkasi's Sumerian Wheat. Uh, if most most uh, beer enthusiasts will know that Ninkasi was the uh, the goddess of beer, and there was a song, there was a poem called the Song of Ninkasi, I believe, that mm-hmm. that uh, was the first recipe or the 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 oldest recipe that we have in in any any language in any uh, written form and so I thought if that's the first beer recipe I should make the you know I should call my my first beer named uh, ode ode to nakasi I think it was called
1: did you drink your first beer did was it a dumper
2: no it was I I thought it was delicious nice. i'm sure if a, a judge drank it they would have thought it was you know adequate or maybe worse, but no, I, mm-hmm. I, I, savored every, uh, every bottle of it. I thought it was pretty good. Um, my second one was also a wheat beer. It was, it was a fit beer mm-hmm. and, uh, actually, uh, inventor still makes that beer today. Uh, so the second beer was, uh, Wittbier von Braun, which is a play on words on Werner von Braun, who was the rocket scientist who came up with the Saturn five rocket that got us to the Apollo uh, space mission.
1: So is it a, it's it's kind of based on the same recipe that you brewed as your second beer? Yeah, I mean the first recipe I had was a was a kit, but mm-hmm. um, you know I,
2: I really liked the style of it beer and I, I, I just kept the name. Um, I'm sure that my the the recipe that I make now is a lot more authentic than my kit was, you know, 20 years ago.
1: Sure, that makes sense. So how did you go from homebrew into deciding to uh, get into brew school? Like how did that transition happen?
2: Man, there's so many uh, homebrewers you talk to, and everybody's at least past the. Even if they won't admit it, everybody's had the dream. Like, man, this is so much fun. It'd, it'd be so great if I could like make this into a career. But I, I was an engineer, and I was you know I was making some pretty good chunk change. I didn't know how to make that transition. I kept going through it in my mind. Like, the only way I know how to do this is to kind of go from a really good salary down to like. Uh, an apprentice or, or some sort of an assistant brewer at a brewery to get experience in, uh, in the commercial realm. And I, I could never really bridge the gap. And so in, in my mind, really, it, it was, I never thought I was going to physically become a brewer. It was just uh, seriously, just like, you know, a three beers in every time, every time I drank three beers in, I'm like, Oh man, that'd be a great dream. But every time I'd sober up, I'm like, there's no way in hell.
1: <laughs> of course uh, so i mean how, i mean how, so how did you do it financially then if you're making good money then all of a sudden you have to go to brew school i mean you didn't go to brew school while you're still an engineer did you
2: no i i just i was a very passionate brewer i was like the president of my club uh so i'm from wisconsin originally went to school in uw platteville started home brewing there and then my wife and i uh moved to iowa so i was living um, Cedar Rapids for a couple years, and then uh, about seven years in Pella. And when I was in Pella, you know, I became kind of the president of the club in town there, and we were all engineers. And I was also the treasurer of the IBU club, Iowa Brewers Union, but it's got a nice mm-hmm. a- acronym, IBU. And that was in Des Moines, and I was their treasurer for like three years. So I was very active in, in the homebrew c- uh, club scene. I went to multiple... They, they, it wasn't called Homebrew Con back then. It was just called the American Homebrewers Association Conference. Mm-hmm. Um, so I went to multiple of those. I was just, I was enamored by it. I just brewed as much as I could. I, I, I went to a 10-barrel or 10-gallon system, not barrel, 10-gallon system. I had a really nice uh, refrigerator to, to do temperature-controlled fermentation. I had a four-tap kegerator. I had, I actually installed in my basement a dedicated a Portable dishwasher that was only for PBW and my my beer glasses. Wow! It wouldn't it wouldn't touch any food. It wouldn't touch anything else. It was just a dedicated, uh, pretty, pretty much bar glassware washer. That's funny. So I was just so dedicated to it, and I just kept spending my engineering salary on more and more home brewing equipment and, and upgrade, upgrades and keg kegging systems and whatever else I wanted to do. And my wife finally said, you know, Adam, you, you brew every single weekend and you work all week long. You know, if you become a pro, you could actually brew all week and have your weekends free. <laughs> and I'm like, whoa, that's that's pretty deep. But but I'm like, are you are you going to support me in this decision? Like, like there's like no health care if I just become an assistant brewer someplace. <laughs> and about the same time she said that uh, was the 2008, 2000, you know, it, we 2010 at this point. So we're kind of two years into the 2008 recession mm-hmm. and I was an engineer for Pella Corporation. And they said, Hey, anybody who wants to quit, we'll give you a severance pay. And so I took their severance cut and I applied to uh, the Sebel, actually the World the World Brewing Academy, which was a combination of Sebel in Chicago and the Dolman's Academy in Munich. And I applied to that, and got accepted. And uh, yeah, that's how I kind of went down that path. It was it was full full um, support from my wife. I mean, if it wasn't for her kind of nudging me a little bit, I I don't think I would have done it. I would have
1: been a family man and, and stuck with the engineering. Wow, very cool. How how, uh, how long was brewing school? What was that experience like? Well, brewing school
2: is really cool, by the way. Like every day we were studying um for eight hours a day or 40 hours a week Mm -hmm. and uh then after class we'd study for another 40 hours a week we'd pretty much go down to a local brewery or a local tavern in chicago and like you know three to five of us would all sit down with all of our binders and notebooks and just just drink beer and quiz each other it was the it's the only time that studying was like really really fun And, and, and we were all, like, encouraging each other. Like, we're drinking, like, five beers a day, like a bunch of alcoholics, and, like, quizzing each other. Like, we're, like, the smartest al- alcoholics in, in all of Chicago. It was pretty fun.
1: <laughs> and how long did that go on for?
2: So it's only a th- it was only a three-month course, um, and I got my diploma. But um, I tell people, it, it, you're, you're cramming so much information into three months that it was, it's, it's equivalent to, like, a two-year degree. Uh, oh, wow. Just crammed in it, just just crash course crammed in it in the two months because we had weekly quizzes that were just like midterms. I mean, they they were in, they were insane.
1: Was uh was the whole time was it the whole time spent in Chicago or did you go to Munich for that as well?
2: Yep. So the first uh, two thirds of it was in uh, Chicago, and you know I got uh, an apartment and uh, with a random roommate. I, I wasn't even going to, school, to beer school with me. I just found it on Craigslist. And <laughs> then uh, got got myself a uh, an all pass for the light rail and buses and I could just go anywhere I wanted. It cost about 70 bucks per month, but it was worth not having a car and parking it anywhere in Chicago. Yeah, absolutely. And, and then when we got to Munich, uh, we pretty much all kind of just par- paired up and we, we just were staying in hostels uh, the whole time. Um, actually the, the one hostel we stayed at was a half a block from the Hofbahnhof in downtown Munich. Hofbahnhof is the train station. So once you get in the the train station, you got the, the, the U line and the S line. So the, 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 the above ground and the underground, um, train lines, and you could go anywhere in the city and out into the, out into the, um, the regional suburbs too. Um, so yeah, you know, half a block away, we jump on the train and bam—you know, a couple, you know, forty-five minutes later, we're down in eyeing, drinking at the, uh, in the a uh, very authentic uh, uh, beer garden.
1: Very nice. Was this your first time in Germany?
2: Uh, no, um, my wife and I actually went to Oktoberfest in two thousand and six or two thousand seven, two thousand six. Yes. Uh, my uncle has been living in Germany just north of um, Munich, about an hour, for about 40 years. And so I've got a standing invitation every time I go uh, to, to hang out. Uh, it's a free place to stay, free interpreter,
1: free tour guide, and his wife is an amazing German chef. So, Wow, that's, that's, uh, that sounds awesome. <laughs> uh, do you know much German yourself? I mean, did you have to know much when you were there? Uh, no, everything the, – the, the this program is a World Brewing Academy, and, and
2: they chose – to develop it specifically for people that can speak English. Um, Whereas like the Weinstefaner uh, brewery is like the oldest brewery in the world. And they have a beer school there. It was originally taught Mm -hmm. by the monks and you have to learn it in German. And the only American that I know it's ever studied there is Dan Carey at New Glarus uh, in Wisconsin. He actually learned German so he could go to Germany and study brewing in the language, and then he came back to America and started that brewery. And so wow. he takes it pretty, pretty seriously. But technically, in, in in my realm, if you want to be called a true Braumeister, you have to have studied at the Weinstaffner brewery. Otherwise, you're not really a
1: Braumeister. You're just a head brewer. <laughs> where uh, Where did you guys study for your program?
2: It was called the Domans Academy, and it was mm-hmm. in a little suburb outside of Munich called Grafing. And a beautiful little town. It had a little river and a a great little sidewalks and little walks and shops. Um, Once you got off the train station, you had to kind of walk about a mile through the town to the other (laughs) side of town. And that's where the school was at. And then at the end of the day, you had to walk another mile all the way back to the train station. Well, fortunately for us, there was a little tiny um, convenience store, grocery store, and they sold... uh, All the beer there it's not in cans or in, like, disposable bottles. They're all in, like, returnable, like, pop-top lids. Like Grosch bottles? Yeah, like Grosch-style bottles with the Mm pop-tops. And so we'd go in there, and you can get, like, an Ondex Dopelbach for, like, 95 cents. (laughs) Awesome. (laughs) And it's like a Dopelbach. So we'd pop in there and just get something, you know. If you drink a a ton of Hellas... But I, I I'm I'm impartial to that Onex Doppelbach, and mm-hmm. and we just buy it for, you know for tw- 95 cents I think it's 25 cents deposit on the bottle, and then but you can get the deposit you can get the deposit back anywhere. So we, once we'd get on the train we would pop would pop the beer and we call it train beer, it was not illegal, <laughs> but it's sort of like you know spanking a baby in public. You just you just don't do it. <laughs> it's
1: frowned upon. It's frowned upon.
2: It's highly, highly frowned upon.
1: It's not illegal. It's just like
2: you, you got, we got some stairs. We got some stairs, but like they can't arrest us for it. It's just like we're having we're having a train beer, and so like almost every day after school, we'd we'd pop by there, and like the you know four or five of my friends would would grab a a train beer and and get on the train and and drink it on the way back into Munich, which is only like five or six stops, and then once we get there, we'd go get our deposit back, and
1: then do whatever we wanted to do, actually more studying, more studying. Sure. Wow. That sounds, uh, that sounds great. So you finished up brew school. Um, were you jazzed, like pumped to get a job in the brewing industry? How did it go after that? I mean, were you just looking for jobs right away? I actually turned on a job at Ball Aerospace, wow.
2: uh, just in, in um, Broomfield, Colorado. It was about the same time that I got accepted at a beer school. Like, They kind of overlapped each other. I wasn't, I wasn't hustling them. Like, I applied to school. I interviewed for the job, and then I got accepted at beer school. And then, like a couple hours later, I got this offer from Ball Aerospace, and I said, "Ah, I I'd love to take this offer." I said, "Can you wait like three months, and then I'll take this job offer?" Because I really don't want to to like lose my slot in beer school. This is once in a lifetime opportunity. And I know I'm not gonna ever be able to like drop what I'm doing between jobs ever again to go to beer school. And they said, No, we, we need we need somebody in the next like two weeks. Yeah. And I said, It's this is just way too big an opportunity. I says I can always apply to you guys later. I gotta go to I gotta do the beer school thing while I have the opportunity. Wow. So anyways Yeah, so I, 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 I literally thought I was still gonna be an engineer maybe and I didn't know. But having gone to beer school, everybody else is all, like, wanting to be a, a head brewer someplace, and so we, it was, like, anti-AA. We, we were literally, like, you know, like, encouraging each other to become, like, brewers, and there was, like, <laughs> at, at that point forward, it, there was, there, it didn't feel like I really had a choice, it was like, I gotta do this, this is so awesome.
1: <laughs> Did you go back to Iowa after that? Um, Actually, my
2: wife was, we, we, we had contemplated, when uh we took the severance from peller corporation uh, i actually jokingly said to my wife oh, here's the opportunity we always dreamed about to move to colorado mm-hmm. and uh, i i was 99 percent joking when i said that to her and she's like are you serious and, well i am if you are <laughs> and and we just kept talking about it and so it, we kind of thought that that was the next chapter in her life so she so i was applying for jobs in colorado and i, I, like I said i turned that job at ball mm-hmm. she was applying for jobs she's in the aerospace industry so she she actually landed a job at raytheon and mm-hmm. still works at raytheon to this day so she's she's got a pretty good career there
1: she's a senior engineering manager now mm. so that's why you guys you guys moved out here because she got that job and you guys had kind of Planned to move out here a little bit. Yeah, so while I was in beer
2: school, she got accepted. And we had I had two little daughters at the time. I had a three-year-old and a one-year-old. And she got the job. And I says, just wait, like, two more weeks. I'll be home and I'll help you move. She's like, no, they want me to start now. And I'm like, I'm pretty sure, you know, as a single parent with two little kids and her husband coming home in two weeks that they could work out something. And she's like, no, I got to go now. So she she literally moved our whole family to Colorado by herself. I mean, she, she had her fa- father and her and her best friend to kind of come out here and help her. But, uh, yeah, she just moved out without me. And then when I come <laughs> back to the States, like, my truck was in Iowa. So I, I go pick up my truck. And then I text my wife. I said, okay, where do I live? And fortunately, <laughs> she told me the truth. <laughs> she took you back. She could have just, just
1: bailed on me. <laughs> Oh, yeah. that's fantastic so you moved to colorado then and uh what, what did you yeah. do how did you oh my you get gosh it there? was it, it was literally the longest month of my life i i felt
2: like six months i i was always a go 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 kind of guy and like in beer school was like go 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 the whole time we're moving from you know chicago to munich and then and then at the end of beer school we actually had a mandatory trip around germany and austria where we visited breweries uh maltsters hop farms and uh equipment manufacturers and mm-hmm. the whole time every one of these equipment manufacturers and hop farmers they wanted to impress us i mean it was almost like a a, a live uh, infomercial and all they did <laughs> is fed us the best food and beers the whole time like you should you should like our products someday like you should really <laughs> like our products and so they just like treated us they wine and dined us for like two weeks all around uh I'd say all around Europe, but it was just Germany and Austria. And oh man, I'll I'll never forget those that trip. It was fantastic. So again, fast paced, very fast paced. Mm-hmm. Then I come back to the states with no job, and I wanted. To, I, and at this point, I'm hungry for for a brewing job. I'm just hungry for it. Mm-hmm. There was only 160 breweries in all of Colorado, and maybe only. I know there's 12 breweries in Denver proper and there was maybe 12 breweries in greater denver at the time so maybe 24 breweries total were and that was in 2010 2011 now there's over 100 maybe mm-hmm. 150 in in that same range so only being 24 breweries in denver i actually applied to 20 sorry 43 different breweries all the way up from denver all the way up to fort collins boulder Uh, Longmont, um, and all the way up into the mountains, I I even applied to uh, Tommyknocker, Mm because all those breweries were, like, drivable. Like, they were all commutable. I could have probably even uh, committed to Colorado Springs, but since my wife got a place on the north side of town, that would have been a little bit farther.
1: There were probably only, like, three breweries down there at the time, too. Well, maybe five.
2: Um, Yeah, there's probably about five or six. I mean, now there's Man, there's probably twenty or thirty down in this building. Yeah, it's been, Yeah, there's probably there's probably five or six there at the time. How um, many
1: interviews did you get uh, from all those applications?
2: I well, I was pretty creative. I'm gonna brag on myself a second. I, <laughs> I, I, I I mean, I was I was a resident assistant in college, and I've always been very creative with like you know marketing type stuff, and so I marketed myself. I bought a mm-hmm. uh, four by four, a uh, four inch by four inch square blank coasters. And I went to a stamp shop and I bought a custom stamp, where I, oh, two stamps, actually, one for the front, one for the back. And the one on the front said, you know, 10 years homebrewing experience, 10 years engineering experience, a recent graduate of the World Brewing Academy, and I can't remember what the last one was. Oh, just engineer. Like, you, you can pretty much hire an engineer and pay the engineer a brewer's salary, and he's going to work his tail off for you. Mm-hmm. And uh, in, the, in the center of the card, it says, we'll brew for work. <laughs> opposed to the, the the classic, you know, we'll work for beer. Mm-hmm. And on the back side, I just stamp my my contact information. And Gosh. so every People, time I, uh, I get a kick out of that, I mean, I didn't really get to see the faces of a lot of them, which is too mm-hmm. bad because I wasn't in the industry yet. I didn't know who to drop this stuff off to, so most of the stuff was just dropped off at like either a, a front desk. You know, mm-hmm. like I went to, I went to Left Hand and I dropped it off at the the, the, the front desk. Was they, they actually have like a you know administrative assistant that's at the front desk and then other Mm -hmm. places it's just like anybody I could talk to in the brewery I like I could knock on the front door nobody's there I'd go knock on the back door and like okay I'll I'll give it to the bottling washing guy all right thank you (laughs) mr. bottle washer like can you can you please pass this on to the hiring person and I I just I felt like a a huge nobody but uh, a funny story was like after I was in the industry like three years later I was hanging out with my buddy Andy Brown who was the head brewer at Wincoop Brew Pub at the time. Mm -hmm. And I don't know how it came up. I was just in his office, and he's like, oh, my gosh, it's so funny you said that. i got to show you this coaster. And he shows me this coaster. He says, look at this. It says, we'll brew for work. This guy dropped this off a couple years ago. I think it's so great. And I says, hey, Andy. I said, hey, Andy, flip that over. (laughs) He flips it over. Oh, shit. (laughs) (laughs) That's good. (laughs) Yeah, he had no clue that it was me. And the whole time Uh, he's telling people about this coaster, and then he figured out that it was me. That's great. So, So, so anyways, yeah, forty-three, yeah, (laughs) forty-three different breweries I'm dropping it off at, and um, I I really wanted the the two breweries I really wanted to work for was either Oscar Blues or Avery, uh, Mm -hmm. just because they had huge beer culture. Yeah. At the time, I mean, they Mm -hmm. still do, but there's a lot of other breweries that have huge culture. But I just I just knew that the culture was so great. I thought, man, if I could work for the there, I could just, you know, just feed off the energy. Mm-hmm. And and neither one was really hiring. And I, I really tried to appeal to them. I said, Well, do you need an engineer? Maybe can I just work for you as an engineer? Like I already got two engineers. I, I don't I don't need to hire another one. Mm-hmm. And so I kind of lost my dream to work for one of the big guys. And so I started looking at the smaller guys. I I, I befriended the Croc Club, K-R-O-C, and uh, I went to the, the first meeting, and I remember some of the guys are saying like, "Man, the Yak and Yeti is, uh, is is trying to hire somebody. You should you should go check out that place." I said, mm-hmm. I, "I already stopped by that place. It was like of the forty three places I came by, I actually did not even drop off a resume because <laughs> because uh, the experience was so bad. Like, I went in there and they didn't have any signs to even say they were a brew pub, and mm-hmm. I asked for a flight of their beers, and they had three beers." And they, they serve it to me in like like dirty little sample glasses with no like flight paddle or piece of paper, just like just dripping wet, like three samples right in front of me. Like, which is which? Like, what are these things? And I, just, it was, I was appalled. I'm like, I gotta get out of here. Like, I'm not even gonna drop, I, I had the resume in my back pocket. I'm like, I'm not even gonna give you guys a resume. Like, this is r- ridiculous. <laughs> But they said, no, they're, they're hiring. And, like, Chris Kennedy just won a medal for his IPA. And, like, the, the system can make good beer. And we're really friends. You know, Chris kind of joined our club, too. Like, you know, you'll be the second brewer at that brewery to, to, to be in our club. And I thought, okay, let me get a second chance. Let me call up Chris and talk to him. Chris had recently left, and he was kind of d- uh, double-teaming breweries. He was the, the new head brewer at Heretic for Jameel Zanishev just outside of uh san francisco and Mm -hmm. uh so he was working and living there and kept flying back like once a month to like you know just brew one batch of beer and his his job was to kind of hire and train the next guy well i says well when's the next time you're doing this i says i'll 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 stop over and so he let me job shadow him and literally at the end of the job shadow he's like here's the keys go go say hi to dole the boss and like i'm out of here (laughs) <laughs> and so I literally had
1: no training except for to kind of watch a guy brew for a day Wow that's uh that's crazy so then uh how was the experience brewing there with you know only having one uh, training day um
2: well so when I can't remember the the whole timeline of things because it was a while ago now. But I, I kind of didn't even want the job. I, I Kind of, again, because I really wanted the culture. I really wanted, like, Oscar yeah. Blues, Avery. I wanted to, like, be deep in the culture. And this place had no culture. So I I, I kind of didn't want the job. But part of me as a hard worker and very passionate. I thought, you know what? There's an opportunity here. I can make this place my own. Mm-hmm. And, like, I can, like, build it up from the ground up. And I just kind of, like, you know, I can really put my myself into it. And... I just thought that was a really cool opportunity and the owner doesn't drink beer his name is Dole Patrai and he's from Nepal originally and I think it's a religious thing on his part but he just does not drink alcohol so he owns a brewery and has never tasted a drop of our products and you know I don't think there's many of, of, of the 8,000 breweries in America I think that might be the only
1: one right? You and there's, no, there's nobody else on staff you didn't have an assistant brewer or a salesperson or any of that it's just everything's you
2: 100 percent. yeah one one person team of one and just you got to work hard and figure stuff out and everything was you know breaking and 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 falling apart and and my engineering really came in handy because you know the first day the uh, heat exchanger blew up and it wasn't you know chris took it apart to try to fix it so after that day that we, we got through the brew day And then, like, a week later, he's like, oh, by the way, uh, I I left the uh, heat exchanger. It's in pieces. I can't get it back together again. And it's so old. It's so old. I don't know if they make replacement parts for it. And it's true. Like, I I called up the company, and they said, "Uh, we stopped making that unit 40 years ago. And I says, (laughs) okay. I says, what about replacement parts? We stopped making replacement parts for that part 10 years ago. (laughs) That's how old the heat exchanger was. So my first on my first day of the job i'm I'm going to the boss and saying hey i need two thousand dollars for a new heat exchanger like don't hate me blame, blame, blame chris don't blame me <laughs> and he bought a new one for you huh yeah we had to order that and i, I couldn't i couldn't even brew until we got the, the, the new heat exchanger and so i got that installed and but again just just having the knowledge of how to like fix stuff and so like i, I uh reconditioned and um fixed all of the uh valves uh, for the fermenters and the mm-hmm. temperature controllers for those and just little just little things here and there, just fittings and parts and making adapters to, like, I want to get this hose from this point here to that point there. I guess I need an adapter for that. And so you know, Fox Supply was, was my friend and I, went, I was going there once a week to pick up parts and making Jeez. new fittings and stuff.
1: Do you think uh, Brew School really prepared you to brew those early batches? I mean... How, I mean, did you feel confident in the beers that you were producing early on?
2: You know, as a home brewer, I actually was reading every magazine. So I, I read every issue for ten years straight of Zymergy and uh, how, uh, Brew Your Own, and I read a bunch of books. You know, ton, you know, probably so I was really book smart. And but I had ten years of home brewing experience, and I, and I was maybe a little cocky. I thought, man, I, I I read all this information. I'm so smart, and I'm going. I'm a professional brewer now, and when I went to beer school, I literally thought I knew ninety percent. They're going to teach me the other ten, mm-hmm. and it was the other way around. I, I literally knew ten percent, even though I had ten years of homing experience and ten years of literature, like book smarts. I still did not know the important parts that make really good quality beer, and so I learned the ten or the ninety percent during beer school, and it just gave me the full confidence to know going into something like, you know, what do you need to do for taking care of your yeast and taking care of your, you know, the malt and how you want to crush the grain and just micro details and everything kind of was fresh in my mind. So I took all that fresh knowledge and like my first beer out of the gate, you know, I thought was pretty fantastic. So
1: nice. So would you, I mean, 2021 now it's 10 years later or so, um, there's a lot more information online. I think that's probably of high quality than there was 10, 15 years ago. Do you still recommend an aspiring professional to go to the brew school, or uh, or do you think they get away with it just by being dedicated? Uh, you know, I guess home brewers, homebrew community people.
2: Um, I definitely think there's so much more information out there that you can be a better brewer now than because there wasn't much on the internet back then. Mm-hmm. Um, you can be a better, but maybe you know, halfway in between, you're, you're still not gonna, I, going to going to the beer school. You're definitely going to be getting the, the knowledge that's going to make you a professional brewer. So anybody that goes straight from home brewing into professional brewing without a, a mentor or teaching or, or something like that, you're, you're really, you're really not, you're giving yourself a disservice. You're, you're, sure. you're probably only going to be making, you know, 75% good beer whereas mm-hmm. with some sort of mentorship or some sort of education you're going to be able to do like 100 percent good quality commercial
1: beer so speaking of quality um i mean you won some medals at yak how uh, how long after you started did you win uh jbf for world beer cup medals
2: so, yeah, I, I was playing to a bunch of types of competitions and, you know, I actually won quite a few at the Colorado State Fair, which competing against Avery and New Belgium and they, they, were, they were submitting their beers too. So I got a couple first place and second place medals at the, the state fair, which I was pretty proud of, but I didn't get my, I, it took me, it's year 2011, 13, 14, like two or three uh, GBS before I got my medal.
1: Okay. What what medal was that? What beer was it for?
2: I I got a medal for the chai milk stout, which was in, at the time, it was spice beer uh, category. I I think they Mm -hmm. split it up uh, again now. Like, I know, like, you know, harvest beers are separate, and there's some other ones that are separate. But at the time, there was the the highest category was IPA. The second highest category was double IPA, and the the third is... competition was the spice beer category and so i got second place silver medal in the third highest
1: uh, uh compete,
2: competition category so i was pretty proud of that
1: very cool and what other uh, what other medals did you win while you're at yak and yeti um i've got seven uh 16 medals
2: at yak and yeti um mm-hmm. and the other two that i was most i mean i got first place for a logger uh at the all colorado festival pretty proud of that one Mm-hmm. um there was only one category for lagers so i was competing against you know my pilsner was competing against box and oktoberfests and schwartz beers and everything else and i got you know first place best of show essentially for lager i got a uh, second place uh, for a national competition called the uh, best of craft out of oregon and mm-hmm. uh, for my german pilsner and i also got uh I think also second. I can never get those first places. It's always the second place type stuff. <laughs> I got I got second place uh, for English uh, porter, English style porter uh, at the same competition. But again, this, I was proud of those because they're just a national competition. They're not quite as attended as the, the GABF, but it was you know maybe a third a third of as big. Still pretty still pretty uh, prestigious award.
1: Were uh, any of your recipes from your homebrewing days? Did you kind of bring any up and scale them up to the pro level?
2: Um, I don't think so. I I mean, mostly you know the stuff that I was learning from beer school, like like the pilsner. I made the, that was the, the pilsner. was like the first recipe that I created at Yak I got mm-hmm. seven medals for it, including one national. Um, so I was really proud of that recipe because I just took all my German. Uh, Brewing knowledge from beer school, and I just put all my love into that one beer. I just wanted to make the best pilsner that I could make, and turns out it was pretty good. Pretty good pilsner. Is that the uh, Namaste
1: Namaste pilsner?
2: It was Namaste while I was making it, and then uh, Dogfish Head also had a Namaste Vit beer, and their cease and (laughs) desist made us change it to Am Nama. So it kind of means the same thing. It's a Nepalese uh,
1: greeting, Am Nama doesn't have the same ring to it as Namaste. Absolutely not. (laughs) Okay, so uh, you're at Yak and Yeti, and I know eventually you you became the brewer at Colorado Plus, um, which is a small brew pub a mile or two away from Yak and Yeti. How did that happen, and when did that happen?
2: Okay, so I was working for Yak and Yeti for, I don't think even a year, like maybe six months, you know, eight months, and a guy named uh, Eugene Kong – He owned a liquor store uh, about halfway between the two locations. And he befriended me and just like, hey man, uh, I'm looking for a brewer to to, to be my brewer on this one barrel system. And we're also gonna put 56 taps on and they're all gonna be Colorado-based breweries. And I'm gonna do Colorado-based food and Colorado wine and Colorado spirits. I'm like, that's a really cool concept. Like 56 taps of only Colorado beers. Mm-hmm. And the day he opened, he was the most Colorado beer on tap in any place in the whole world. Wow. Like, that's, that's a pretty cool concept. And he's like, you want to quit your job and be my brewer? I'm like, it's a one barrel. Like, I, I could probably, <laughs> I can just probably, like, do this on nights and weekends. Like, I don't want to quit my good job for, for that. <laughs> and I kind of t- told him that. And he's like, oh, well, come on, man. I mean, something, you know, throw me a bone here. And I said, look, if you're okay with me kind of doing this as a moonlighting gig, you can't be the servant of two masters, right? So if anytime there's a beer festival, I'm going to always pledge allegiance to the Yak and Yeti. Anytime there's the competition or or something else, I said, if you're okay with like me playing second fiddle or you playing second fiddle and me, whatever, then I think we can make this work. But I I, I don't want to be true. I don't want to split myself and like try to like please both of you equally. Cause Mm -hmm. I I knew it was never going to happen. So as long as you're okay with like always, you know, having the second helpings, I said, I think we can make this work. And he said yes to it. He was like, he was totally cool with that. So yeah, I was full, I was a head brewer at, at Yak and Yeti and the head brewer at Colorado plus. And I don't think, I mean, I know people have been the head brewer at like two of the same location. But I don't know if anybody's been the head brewer at two competing locations at the same time for, like, a five-year period.
1: <laughs> How did that uh, – I mean, did it all work out pretty smoothly for you?
2: Um, yeah. I mean, uh, I, I told Dole – because Dole, I was only make, working, like, 30 hours a week for Dole. And I, mm. I, I was being up front with him. He wasn't, like, happy, like, yay. He wasn't, like, <laughs> super excited that I was, like, kind of working behind his back. But he totally understood where it came from and he respected my decision and we were still very professional about it and there was never once did it like ever come up on his side or eugene's side that like it was uncomfortable and not not, never once like we we were all three of us were very professional about the whole thing and it just kind of worked out well um and i really thoroughly enjoyed my experience at colorado plus because i was making more traditional styles at Yak and Yeti because it was a seven barrel system and I knew I had mm-hmm. to sell every drop of it. But mm-hmm. on the one barrel system, I got to be really creative. So, and we also had 56 other taps that were Colorado beers. Mm-hmm. So, I, I, I made a deliberate decision, never make a single IPA. Because look, we had Odell's IPA, Avery IPA, and Ska IPA, and like all these really good IPAs on draft Like, I I don't want to try to compete against that with a one barrel. Like, let me make the weird stuff that we're all going to serve in, like, 10-ounce glasses. So, from day one, to try to make it more profitable, instead of selling any of our beers in 16-ounce glasses, while I was there, we never sold a single glass more than uh, uh, 10 ounces. That was the the biggest glass we ever
1: sold the whole time I was working there. Wow. And what kind of stuff, uh, I mean, what were some of your favorite beers there that you made?
2: Um. I made a Berliner Weiss. That was one of
1: our flagships,
2: and our, our double IPA was called Bitter Off Dead. That was the flagship, and I just I we kind of had this like uh, undead theme. We did A lot of zombie name stuff. I started a, uh, a Solera sour program there. Um, wow. I did I did I found I tried to find some really small like ten gallon barrels and do some barrel aging. Uh, but yeah. then I, I just experimented mostly with like ingredients. So, to my knowledge, I was the first in Denver to, to kind of do like a cocoa puffs and a fruity pebble uh, uh, beer, and uh, so those kind of took off for a little while. And I did nice. uh, stay, a Stay Puff marshmallow beer. It was like a <laughs> chocolate uh, uh, porter with uh, marshmallows in it, and this really weird stuff too. Like we did a wasabi beer. I did a beer a mint beer. And that sounds fine, a mint beer. But if I tell you sure. that the actual species of mint that I used was called catnip, people are like, oh, my gosh, you can't drink that. It's That's designed for cats. I'm like, it's in the mint family. It's a mint. <laughs> um, well, You know, I did uh, truffles beer. Uh, we did, uh, I mean, to try to make up new styles, too. Like, I remember doing, like, a, a, a Belgian brown porter. And I don't know anybody you know you, you, I don't think I get a brown porter in Belgium, but I just wanted to like use a Belgian yeast into that. And uh, my assistant was Aaron Hutton and he, he brought one to the table. That was a Imperial milk stout. Uh, oh, uh, uh, imperial oat milk stout, but using half a bites in yeast. So it, <laughs> it, it imparted a banana character to it. So that was kind of a unique one too we just we just had we just had a blast i mean i, I wish i had like i gotta got go back to my book to, to 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 figure out all the different weird flavors we did i know we did a um a, uh, one of the first people to do a wheat wine so it was mm-hmm. like a, a barley wine but we just we just cr- cranked it full of of wheat tried to get it like 12 percent alcohol and uh a white wine beer and a red wine beer um I did. Very yeah. Cool. Oh, oh, we started we started smoking our own malts. So we did like a hickory smoked malt beer, and we were the. Like, now you can actually go to the supply store and actually get mesquite smoked malt, but mm-hmm. back then it didn't exist. So we we, we mesquite smoked our own uh, our own malts. And in, in, in how did you own- uh, how did you smoke it yourself? We had a uh, a smoker in the back, and we just kind of put it on a screen, and just. And you didn't need that many pounds of it. I mean, it's a one-barrel system. I mean, most of our batches of beer were only using, like, 75 to 100 pounds. And so mm-hmm. we just put, like, 5 to 10 pounds on the screens and uh, and smoke it up.
1: Wow. Uh, we, oh, smoked we smoked it? up.
2: We had a, yeah, um, I'd say warm smoked. We tried to okay. cold smoke it. We tried to cold smoke it, but it, it did get a little bit of heat. Um, okay. Actually, we, we had a smoked hop beer. Um, and we called really? it 421 because we, we just thought you know it'd be kind of funny <laughs> to call it.
1: Yeah.
2: Not it's not 420. It's like 421.
1: <laughs> How did that come out? I smoked hop beer.
2: Um, very subtle. I mean, you could get some smokiness out of it, mm-hmm. but it didn't like make the hops taste any better. It's you could have smoked anything. You could have smoked like cardboard and just dipped it in the beer, and it would and have it the par- it imparted the same amount of flavor. So you somehow we got you know just two drops of liquid smoke probably would have did it too, but <laughs> we were trying to be purists and, and trying to like have fun with it. Um, oh, I know. I remember another one. It was a uh, little orange hun Annie. So like really bad pun on words, like little orphan Annie, but orange hun stood for orange blossom, honey and orange juice. So we, we, we took uh, an orange peel. So like we had everything orange and everything honey you could think of right in this beer. <laughs> And it was like a Belgian-style saison with orange blossom honey. Like uh, 10% of the entire fermentables was pure orange juice and then uh, orange peel. Like it was – yeah, it was pretty delicious.
1: Crazy. So you were brewing those two places for five years, and then your wife got a job out in Wisconsin, right? That's what happened?
2: no actually she 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 kept her job she was keeping her job in colorado and we had just been talking about moving back at some point okay and and i thought you know what i don't if, if i can open my own place i'd be willing to move back and we also were talking about being closer to grandma and grandpa because her, her parents live in tomah wisconsin and mine are just north of Marshfield, wisconsin Mm-hmm. It was costing quite a bit of money. Like when you get plane tickets for, for three kids um, or, and yourself, I mean, you got to buy plane tickets, you got to rent a car. If you want to drive out there, it's, n- I mean, the kids were still in diapers. So you got to drive. And like, it took us like three days to drive out there because of all the hotel stops and all the meals and all the <laughs> diaper changes. It, it was literally costing us uh, $6,000 a year to travel to and from Wisconsin two times. Jeez. And I thought, if we live there, like, bam, we just, we've just we already saved $6,000 a year. <laughs> and and on a brewery salary, that's a lot. Sure. So, yeah, we kind of uh, kept talking about it. And, uh, we, yeah, we decided to move back to Wisconsin to open up a brew pub. And we, we were talking about where we wanted to move and, and stuff like that. And she wanted to live near the water. And uh, I we also thought we had to live either – drivable to Madison or drivable to Milwaukee, if she was going to still have the engineering salary with all the benefits. So we knew we had to kind of be near one of those two cities if she was going to get another engineering job. So she put in her two weeks, uh, two months notice. She gave them a big heads up and they said, Mm -hmm. "Uh, we don't want you to leave. Like, uh, do do you have to leave? Like, what if you just like telecommute? And she's like, is that an option? Like, I thought you guys said there's no telecommuting right now yeah there's no telecommuting but we really like you so they kind of made they kind of made an exception for her just because they really wanted they wanted to keep her and uh, yeah then we we settled on uh, Port Washington just a beautiful lakeside town with a marina and uh, an original lighthouse and then sort of an art deco like lighthouse and uh, yeah that's, that's where we ended
1: up and how did you uh, how did you end up getting a brew pub there? Like how did that start? I mean, you were you were self financed, I think. Um, yes, we did.
2: Uh, one of her one of her coworker friends uh, did give us a, a personal note. We we paid her back, mm-hmm. but but mm-hmm. we had sort of a personal uh, note that we borrowed a little bit of money. But the rest of us we did with her life savings, wow. and um, we were going to go into a. Just like you know a lot a lot of places in Colorado have gone into uh, old auto body shops mm-hmm. and so I found a, I found an old body shop it had two roll-up doors and it was a fantastic space it had 6,500 square feet. I thought it was just the perfect building and I was gonna put in a seven barrel electric system with a Mm -hmm. full restaurant and actually had a second floor above the restaurant for more like, you know, banquet space and dining space. I thought, man, this is like a really cool building. And it was right on the main drag. I thought it was, everything was going to go good, but based on the sale, I started after living in the town, I saw the sales of the town and in the middle of the winter, it's a very touristy town. So in Mm -hmm. the summertime sales are up like 300% in the wintertime sales are down like, 50%. 50%. So, <laughs> it's it's very difficult to, to do that. And I, I, I kind of got uh, cold feet on that building because the project was going to cost over a million dollars. Wow. And we were dumping all of our money into it. And it, if we would have went, you know, I, I think if I would have pulled the trigger on that one, we would have went bankrupt. Wow. And so, I, I really did pull out at the last minute and my gut was right um, Jeez. on that specific building. But then I, I went into a small depression cycle because, like, like I just moved my family all the way across the nation. We sold our house, we sold all this stuff. We're trying to get this brewery up and running, and then I just I I lost about thirty thousand dollars by walking away from that building. Jeez. So I lost almost my whole life savings out of out of that um, opportunity. I'm like, th- yes, I saved us from. Uh, bankruptcy but i'm i didn't i didn't get my dream off the ground like here here we are i'm gonna have to probably go back into engineering just to to pay back all the losses that i had Jeez. and and so about two three months were just like i was just really bummed like like i can't believe i did this to my family and like what a disgrace and what, what are all my friends gonna think that i said i was gonna start a brewery and i can't even i can't even do it um and at this about the same time um, I, I I was like still like a good networker, so I tried to like make good connections with everybody. The mayor mm-hmm. really really liked me, and he's like he calls me up and said, "Hey, you know, I really don't want you to like give up on your dream. Is there a way that you can still like make this happen? I'll I'll help you look for a building." And so between him and the city planner and some other stuff happened. They said the American Legion Hall is looking for a new tenant. Like it's not public knowledge. It's kind of like on a DL. Like they, they want to kick out their current tenant because they won't pay the bills and they want a really good tenant in there. Uh, is this something you'd consider? And, I'm, and, and my first initial thing is like, man, the American Legion just wants to drink like Bud Miller Coors or not even like Bushlight, Light, Natty Light, and you know, whatever, else, PBR. And I just thought this might not be a good fit, but the most magical part about this building is the American Legion Hall is in the last remaining building of the 1847 Lakeside Brewery. So here in this town, there is one building that's still left over from a brewery that began in 1847, which is way older than Miller, Coors, and Anheuser Busch. This is very wow. old. Little little tiny um, uh, uh, German brewer came to town. And they built it up to, you know, like a big four-story building. I can't remember what their their maximum output was. I could probably look it up. But they brewed from 1847 to 1947. And then they closed Mm -hmm. their doors. And then they tore down all the buildings. And they saved the newest building, which was the bottle washing house. And the city uh, essentially gifted it to the American Legion, saying you can use this as your clubhouse. And so for 70 years, the American Legion has been using it as a clubhouse. And then in 2017, we went in there and opened up a brewery. And uh, everything old is old as new again because, you know, for 100 years, that was a brewery. 70 years, it was American Legion, and now we're brewing beer in that same space again. Very cool. Wow.
1: What kind of challenges did you have uh, using such an old building, um, starting your own brewery? I mean, how different was it than having a brewing gig, going from a home brewer to a brewing gig, two brewing gigs, and then owning your own brewery?
2: Well, the space wasn't ideal, um, but I also didn't have any money anymore. Like, I I, I lost all my money. Mm -hmm. So I thought, well, you know, my dream is still on the table. And it's such a great location because, you know, A, it's a historic brewery, but B, there's the huge beer garden. And then there's the, the street It's called Lake street because, mm-hmm. for a good reason, because on the other side of Lake street is a small park called veterans park. And then you can see the Lake Michigan. So I got like 30 degree view of the actual lake from our beer garden. And wow. at the time it was the only brewery in all of Wisconsin or Michigan or Illinois that actually had a lake view. Even, I, I make fun with uh, my buddy Russ at Lakefront Brewery. It's called Lakefront Brewery, but but it's on the river. He, he yeah. can't see the lake. He can't he can't see the lake from Lakefront. Um, but but we actually had a lakefront view. Um, but again, at no money and the space. They had kind of a, a unheated garage shop, and there was no drain in there or anything. So I, I, I talked to the Legion. I said if I could get a drain in here. I will build a small, like heated room, so that it's like antifreeze, and build a fermentation room, and um, we, we we kind of uh, agreed to terms that we could we can make this work. It wasn't ideal for them, and it really wasn't ideal for me, but we could make it work. And mm-hmm. uh, they, they they've been happy to have you know uh, steady uh, uh, rent you know lease payments, and we've been happy to have a, a place with such a good of you
1: and the community has really supported us so what's the system like and what kind of beers are you brewing there so again i originally wanted to do a seven barrel electric
2: um and then now if i did it all over again i'd probably do a 10 barrel like direct fire or steam because um, mm-hmm. 10's the new seven or yeah 10's the new seven mm-hmm. but in this space because the whole room wasn't heated and I didn't have enough money to really remodel it and the American Legion was going to let me make some changes, but they weren't going to finance anything. I could really only squeeze in a one barrel. So mm-hmm. I decided to go uh, locally in Milwaukee is a pretty good, homebrew uh, home brew supplier called spike home, uh, spike brewing. And they mm-hmm. make a one barrel system. That's quite professional. You know, it's got, you know, it's got tri-clamp fittings and some really nice stuff on it. So I went with, you know, all welded fittings, at least there's, there's no, um, weldless fittings that blickman used to use they blickman used to be like the king of of one barrel systems but uh, they don't mm-hmm. they don't have a nice welded system so i we went to spike and uh just a uh, plastic uh german uh, uh one barrel uh fermentation from fermenters but be, but i knew that it was gonna be hard to keep up on demand and you know, I've, I've seen other one barrel bre- uh, breweries do stuff and they always struggle and one of the things they always struggle with is volume, and so instead of going with like four fermenters or six fermenters, like most breweries do, I went with ten, knowing full well that I was going to need all ten in order to like just barely be able to keep up.
1: Wow. So what kind of uh, what kind of what kind of beers are you making there? Is it similar to what you were making at Yak and Yeti or uh, Colorado Plus, or different kinds of beers? Um, not as extreme as the stuff that we were making at Colorado plus.
2: Although when I, when I left both yak and Yeti and Colorado plus, I I left in such good terms that both, uh, both of my bosses says, if if you want to use any of these recipes, you know, be our guest. Um, you can, you know, just fine. And, and I don't think I use the names of any of them. Like I I use this recipes, but I changed the names to, 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 to kind of fit with the times. Um, but yeah, I did like I, the, the, uh, English brown porter uh that got that national medal I, I I still use that one the IPA is is a lighter version um lighter color and lighter flavor of of the one that I used to make at yak and Yeti and um our flagship um double IPA double red at Colorado Plus is is one of our flagships at inventors um mm-hmm. but like you know half a vice and I don't think I made a half of vice in either one of those places and I and we, kind of requirement uh chicago milwaukee is the epicenter in america for Hefeweizens, and i originally wasn't <laughs> going to make one but when i found out that that's all they want they want Hefeweizens and uh, american amber but, so you, you kind of give regionally you give people what they want to have so, so you're making american amber there too yep and actually we nice. I, ha- I had one called archimedes amber and i wasn't i hated it just because i don't like that style and the huh. the the po- um American Legion Post 82 is our landlord. They had uh, a year and a half ago, they had their 100th anniversary. And so we partnered together and made a, a centennial beer. And like, well, maybe I should use some centennial hops in this because that, that totally makes sense. So I made a American Amber that was heavily hopped with centennial hops. And so that's that's now our new flagship Amber. And we donate, oh, nice. we donate 10% of all the sales of that beer, uh, to the, to the, uh, post 82. well, To your landlord. Uh, yeah, but the, you know, <laughs> it's <laughs> weird because they're a nonprofit. Uh, yeah. they, they don't actually, I mean, their, their whole purpose is to be a nonprofit. So they donate yeah. money and stuff. So sure. they, they have like, uh, Legion camps and stuff like that where they send kids mm-hmm. to, to a camp. So I, I donate the money to them, but they, they just pass it on to the next, um,
1: charity case that they want to pass it on to. Mm-hmm. So you, you were talking to me the other day about a, I think it was 200th beer you are making, that high alcohol beer?
2: Um, so my 100th batch of beer at Inventors uh, yes, Oh, 100th I at made... Inventors.
1: Oh, it's 100th at in Inventors. Okay.
2: Yeah, my 100th batch at Inventors was I, I based it off, like let's say, I talk about a Belgian golden strong mm-hmm. but now replace the Belgian yeast with American yeast mm-hmm. and then imperialize it So we we ended up with like a 17% American Golden. I call it an American Imperial Golden Strong. I don't know if it's a real style. I just, that's, I wanna call it something so people have some sort of reference of what it is. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it's like, I I just tell people it's 34 proof. It just sounds better than 17%. (laughs) And that was your 100th batch. That that was my 100th batch. and, And I don't bottle stuff because we're just a, a nano brew pub, but I did mm-hmm. bottle this because I, I I sold the first 100 bottles for 24 bucks a piece. Wow. And, and um, yeah, we, we sold... The, 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 the night that we released them, it was our number one selling beer. It outsold our IPA. It outsold Bud Miller Coors combined. It outsold everything. Mm-hmm. And uh, 18 months prior to that, it used to still be, like, the American Legion Hall Bar... And their number one selling beer was a ten ounce pour of Bud Heavy for a dollar fifty. Wow. The number one selling beer was Bud Heavy $1.50 a glass, and Jeez. and eight, 18 months later, the number one selling beer that night was a well I think we I think that first night we we discounted it for twenty bucks but either way, mm-hmm. a twelve ounce bottle for twenty bucks was the number one selling beer that night, and it's so great I to just kind I just had to take a step back and say wow i think I think we we accomplished something here
1: yeah, absolutely Jeez. Yeah. so, so then, anyways, uh, we, yeah, we did
2: we just brewed our three hundredth batch of beer and it was kind of modeled after the the red wine beer that I made at Colorado plus but mm-hmm. but I, I I made it bigger, imperialized it a little bit, and that's pretty good. It actually tastes like fifty percent wine and fifty percent beer, and then well, we also uh rebrewed the hundredth batch of beer and so i and i try to beat my record um it's currently being measured and uh, i'll i'll find out within the, within the week what that is but i'm targeting like 19 to 20 percent
1: so this well, and it's the same the same kind of recipe just boosted it up a little bit Same
2: recipe just you know i used more enzymes and more sugar and just babied the yeast a little bit more trying to get mm-hmm. a little bit more yeast out of it or sorry more, and you out of
1: it. And you fed the uh, you fed the fermentation sugars to higher the alcohol. Yeah,
2: I think we started at twenty seven Plato, uh, mm-hmm. which is pretty big, and then we kept feeding it sugars. In theory, if 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 we did our math right, uh, the OG based on the extra sugars we added to the amount of volume we, that we had, it would have been a starting gravity of forty three Plato. Or in specific gravity terms, one point two zero zero. Wow, that's uh, that's hefty. <laughs> and that's the biggest. That's the biggest beer that I've I've attempted to ferment. Jeez, uh,
1: what kind of IBUs did you use for that big of a beer?
2: Um, I didn't want it. You know, it's kind of funny. I I it's kind of a tongue-in-cheek beer. I I, I deliberately make it for those people that specifically say I don't like dark beers. They've got too much alcohol in them. I just want my middle light. <laughs> Oh, so like you're, the the 4.2% alcohol Guinness is is more alcohol than your 4.2% alcohol Miller Lite? It's like <laughs> it's the same thing. They don't they don't understand it. So it's kind of a tongue tongue and cheek thing when I when I make a beer that looks like Miller Lite in color and in, but then I give it to them and it's like oh yeah this is 34 proof. <laughs> Those uh, light beers, you know, I, I only drink light beers. You know, I don't like those dark beers. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so that's coming around full circle now. So, yeah, you moved back to Colorado and you still have your brew pub in Port Washington. How is that working for you?
2: Yeah, I, I guess we don't mention that. But my <laughs> wife, uh, her boss's boss was retiring and said, I'd like to recommend that you take my position. But it is a in-person position. So you'd have to move back to Colorado to make that happen. And so we we talked about it, prayed about it, and the life that I was having with my kids, I was working every weekend. I'm running a restaurant. I mean, not just a brewery. I'm also brewing beer, but I'm also running a restaurant. And it just it mm-hmm. took all my time, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And we never went once camping the whole time I was in Wisconsin. We never once went to the Renaissance Festival. We never once went to... Uh, uh, you know, summer fest and the state fair, all the fun things that I should be doing with my kids in the summertime because summer is the busy time and the weekends is the busy time. And I was just sacrificing it all for the business. But we started talking about it. Like the business is doing well right now. We don't, I don't think we, I need to be doing this. And so we made, we made the conscious decision to like focus on the family. And so now I've, you know, I just took the kids mini golfing today my my nine year old has never mini golfed in her whole life, and <laughs> if I was living in Wisconsin, she probably still wouldn't have been mini golfing because I was just taking all my time into the business. So I mean, if, if if this is if this is supposed to encourage people to go into the brewing industry, um, <laughs> if you got a, if you got a family that you love and, and, and hold dear, you know, I would I would seriously think about you know how how important the sacrifice is. Not if you're single, you'd be dumb not to do it because <laughs> it's, it's a really fun industry to be in and you've got so much support with other industry people and you know we call ourselves competition we're not competition
1: mm-hmm. so i mean at the same time though you still own the brewery it's going well right now
2: yeah yeah so so i still own inventors um, i gave a, a small slice of the pie to my general manager so that he's a uh, you know part owner now and i've got a great uh bar manager who's also my brewer so he was such a such a great person and so willing to learn that every time that i was flying back i would fly back and like fill up all the fermenters Mm -hmm. and like fill up you know nine or ten fermenters in one weekend and then fly back (laughs) to denver and my my record my record is now 10 batches in 78 hours wow and yes i did sleep during that time i mean it it was like three batches a day um, and just, I, I did sleep in between, but it was, it was literally brew, brew, sleep, brew, sleep, and, you know, brew. Um, wow.
1: So, I mean, it's like you have, you've had your cake and you're eating it too. Now, I mean, you're back here, your wife got a promotion, you're spending time with your kids, you have a brew pub, yeah. it's successful. So it's, it's I mean, like may, maybe work. that's the aspiring story right there, right? You know, set, it, it start is. it up it, and it, you beat everything.
2: It absolutely is. I mean, it's not that I didn't work hard. I mean, cause I, I, I sweated over the place. I, I lost 20 pounds during the 40 days that we remodeled the building and, you know, landscaped and rebuilt the bar and rebuilt the, the the beer hall and all that stuff. It's 40 days and I lost 20 pounds. So I was losing a half a pound a day. Um, it was very stressful and like, just took a toll on me physically. Uh, I was working, Mm -hmm. um, 90 hour, uh, weeks after that, Mm -hmm. when we first opened and just tons of sacrifice, you know, really. But when when you when you're fueled by the passion of of having your own place, um it didn't it didn't feel like 90, it only felt like, you know, like 65 and a half. Mm-hmm. It didn't feel that bad. Um now that being said, like if somebody says, "Hey, would you like to do it all over again?" I'm like, "I really like the place that I'm at right now, but mm-hmm. I, I'm a lot older and my kids are older and I'm spending time with them. So now that the the place where I'm at with my family I, I don't know if I would do it all over again but I would never have traded that experience for the world it was it was absolutely worth all the sacrifices that we did as a family and uh and, and the spot where we're at right now because it's it's financially uh working out
1: wow What's, what are the what are the plans for inventors in the future I mean how do you you just kind of steady as she goes or do you have expansion plans or anything like that
2: um, if I was still in Wisconsin, it would be a, a, a. I was already looking for a second building. I was mm-hmm. wanting to find a, instead of putting three hundred thousand dollars into my landlord's building, I thought, mm-hmm. let me buy my own building, and then put three hundred thousand dollars into that and start another ten barrel, and then the ten barrel system can kind of help feed any of the the deficiencies that we have from volume, and mm-hmm. so I was I was heavily like the first uh, five months before we left i was heavily looking at other buildings to try to get a second location going Mm -hmm. it's not impossible i'm not saying it's off the off the books but now that i'm in colorado it'd be be much more difficult for me to try to get a second location going um from remotely what about starting a location in colorado uh people ask that question to me all the time (laughs) um the just just the, re, the the real estate prices alone. Um, it's just, I don't know if it's gonna be worth, the juice is gonna be worth the squeeze. I would I would have to commit a lot of, I would actually, actually I don't know if I could even afford it. I would have to bring in investors just to open up a, sec, uh, a, a location in Colorado. And so now I'm gonna be doing 100% of the work and only gonna be 50% of the owner. I, I, I don't know if it's even worth doing. So I'm kind of just happy.
1: Sure. No, it sounds like it. I'm just curious. Um, before you go, uh, you've been drinking a beer while we've been talking, right? Yeah. What have you been drinking?
2: I've been uh, sucking down an Odd 13 Razuka Jane. It's a raspberry uh, sour beer. Wow. How is it? Yeah. Well, it's it's, go- it's been gone for like 10 minutes. So. <laughs> but, it's, 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 yeah, it's got uh, you know, vanilla lactose and uh, raspberries in it It was delicious yeah it wasn't i would say it was uh, really tart i wouldn't have called it a true like sour sour but
1: mm-hmm. uh yeah and the new it. new style the sweet smoothie style yeah i guess it would be a smoothie style i'm not All a right, big fan and... of
2: them but okay. i do like i do like uh, raspberries and i do like sours nice
1: did you ever do any uh like door county cherry beers or something when you're in wisconsin
2: um, you know what I, I, I we did pop up into Door County for one weekend and it was just my wife and I we the kids were at uh, grandma and grandpa's and so we just went up there as a as a date weekend mm-hmm. um and then the, yeah they're famous for their Door County cherries but no I actually did not uh do it one I, I've done some raspberry beers apple beers blueberry beers I, I've not done a I, I should have, I, I can still do
1: it. You know, it's, it's never too late. You can true. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then before we go, I mentioned earlier, um, is it possible to get a few of your recipes after air for uh, some of the Patreons?
2: Yeah. Yeah. So just we, you and I can talk offline and figure out which ones we want to, uh, to, to post for you guys.
1: Cool. I'll uh, Great. I'll get those, uh, in the next few days, send them to Coulter and he can uh, share them with the Patreons to thank them for their support. Um, very good. Thanks a lot, Adam. This was uh, fantastic. I appreciate you having you having you on the show. Yeah, it's um, fun
2: telling my story again.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It'll be good. Uh, I think it's good for anybody who's an aspiring uh, professional who's homebrewing right now. They get to see the perspective of somebody who's kind of uh, been through everything. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's it's been, great. It's,
2: it's, it's been a journey, and that's, that was kind of one of my quotes too. It's like it's not about the destination; it's all about the journey, and. Uh, Looking back on it, like I like the destination I'm in right now, but mm-hmm. that that the, the journey is what. If I hadn't gone through the journey, the destination doesn't mean squat. Like being in this destination now only is meaningful because of all the sweat, blood, and tears that went through to get here
1: sure yeah i mean just from knowing you for years i mean you could sit here for 15 hours and tell story after story of so many different things that you've experienced in the brewing industry so um yeah absolutely it had to have been really rewarding and uh fulfilling um so thanks thanks for having uh thanks for being on here and uh Coulter will be back next week for next Perfect. week's episode yep thanks for having me yep
0: thank ryan and adam for taking the time to come and do this interview and uh, stepping in for me last week it was a wonderful conversation you know i did do the editing and all the post and it was a really cool conversation you can follow us on social media we're on all of the the socials instagram twitter facebook look for at homebrewing diy all one word give us a follow well that's it for this week we'll talk to you next week on homebrewing DIY.